want you to take your Bible. I want you to open it right to the middle. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. If anybody ever asks you to read something out of the Bible and you get to choose between Psalm 117 and Psalm 119, Psalm 117 is the shortest Psalm in the Bible. It has two verses. Psalm 119 has 175. So lean short if you like short stuff. Psalm 119, we're going to look in a moment. Go ahead and you'll have to keep turning around within that. Find verse 160 or sort of get in the neighborhood there somewhere. The Lord is going to help us tonight. He's going to help us with our lives. We're going to talk tonight about balance, about living a balanced life, getting our lives in order and living a balanced life. We're struggling with this in our land today, in our churches. Let me tell you what we're going to see from Scripture tonight. Our God is a God of balance. And a balanced life is the only way to have a blessed life. A life that's out of balance is going to cycle out of control. And we want to order our lives balanced by Scripture so that we can have blessed lives. This, psychologists are talking about this now. And we want to talk with the, we want to see what the Scripture has to say. I think it's a great work of the enemy to get our churches and our lives and our culture out of balance. And we're suffering because of it. I think it's a great deception today that's touching people in their personal lives. And I'm seeing this in churches. And we want to talk about both tonight, balance in our personal lives and balance in our church. And I want to show you a great truth from Scripture that just shocks people when you show it to them. It's in Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. Does anybody know what truth is? Yes, sir, Brother Brown, the truth is the word of God. Look what that verse says, this first part. What does the word entirety mean? All of it. The entirety of your word is where truth is. And there was, we've got to get back to the entirety of life and the entirety of the word. All right, let me just help you for a minute. Something's happened in our churches. Now we'll take a minute and talk about this, about how to get our lives and churches back into balance. What's happening today, and you, you, you may have never thought about this, but you'll agree when I point it out. Our churches are getting out of balance. And we're overemphasizing one truth while excluding the whole truth. And we've gotten away from the entirety of your word and we're zeroing in on so many places on just one truth. You say, well, it's the truth. I know it's the truth, but is it entirety of truth? Is it the whole truth? Let me just give you some for instances to see, see what you think about this. Uh, please don't be offended by anything I say because I'm probably going to call your group out tonight. <laughs> I have friends and uh, they're... Uh, they, their entire life centers around spiritual gifts, in particular tongues. I mean, everything's tongues. If they preach four times, three of them are going to be on tongues. And they just, they just, their emphasis is on tongues. They think that's the greatest thing. I was invited some time back to go to a local church here and hear a man who'd been on uh, drugs had got recovered give his testimony. And I thought, man, I'd love to go hear that, but I hope the preacher don't preach because all they ever preach about is tongues. So I went to the church. I gave a great testimony. The preacher stood up and preached for 40 minutes on how, why you need to speak in tongues. And uh, he said, what's wrong with tongues? Nothing. I bet you I speak in them more than you all. But a life built around one thing is not the entirety of thy word. We're doing this all over the place today. I've got, uh, I, I've been, I've got preachers in certain churches. They just preach on judgment all the time and, and, you, and the judgment, the evil and the wickedness. And their people are so beat down. Well, yes, there's judgment in the Bible. But there's a cross in the Bible. There's grace in the Bible. And it's, it's not that it's wrong. It's just not entirety. 
It's, it's not the entirety of thy word that gives life. On the other hand, we got a group now moving through the nation preaching what they call, it's referred to as a hyper grace movement. That because there's grace, nobody has to do anything. You, you can just raise hell, live like the devil. We're all under grace. Uh, one of these movements just died recently. It was called the emerging church movement. And their thing was, let's all get drunk and raise hell and be one up. We'll be like them. Well, doc, they got that. You don't have anything to offer. You say you don't believe in grace? Yes, yes, I believe in grace. The grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodly lust and live righteousness in this present evil age. And do you see how you can take a truth and get so crazy with it that it's not the entirety of thy word? We're seeing this going all over the place today. I got friends that are into prophecy and I swear they could, they could depress Mr. Rogers. I mean, it's just all gloom and doom and, and, and just prophecy, gloom and doom and sadness. And, and you know, they'd hold one of them signs, the end is near. That's their entire message. The end is near, it's sad. And you know, they got rifles and bottled water and canned food in a bunker somewhere. And I just, you say, you don't believe in prophecy? Yeah, yeah, but let me tell you something. I was born for such a time as this. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll crawl in a hole and hide somewhere. Is that what it says? I will rejoice and be glad in it. We need the entirety of the word to be in balance. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not being unkind. I, I got to help y'all. My job is to help y'all. I got friends who got hung up on healing now. I believe in healing. I weep when I pray for people and they don't get healed. Not because I failed, but because they're still sick. If you don't hurt when people are sick, you don't know Jesus. I wish I could heal everybody, but I'm going to tell you something. I got friends that let the world go to hell if they could just see one person healed to prove they know what they're doing. And we just build our whole lives around this little, instead of the entirety, the whole scope of God's word. Now I got friends get off in the deliverance thing. And there's a devil behind every bush. I'm a delivered man. Praise God. I'll need it again someday. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. We need a balanced life throughout the word. We need the entirety of thy word. And do you see how people fall into these camps all over the place personally and, and uh, then as groups? All right, let me see who I hadn't irritated. I saw recently a large group of churches in our nation is disappearing. One of the local denominations here, they got 20 years left. There won't be a single one of them left. If they lost 5% of their attendees last year, you can't do that for 20 years. You don't exist no more. And their entire, everything they do is on social justice. They become the social justice warriors. We're going we're gonna to make things right, you know, justice in the earth. That's their entire message. They never preach the cross. They never point to eternal life. They, you understand how we get, and you got this crowd doing this, and they never point to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And then I got friends, and they, they preach, I mean, they preach evangelism, but they'd let you starve right there. They forgot it's eternal life plus daily bread. Jesus who went about doing good. And uh, you said, well, should you be telling people to get saved or feeding them? What's wrong with both? My simple question is this. What did Jesus do? Not what would he do? What did he do? Jesus said, you must be born again. And then he said, feed those hungry people. And Jesus was the word. Listen, if you're going to interpret the word, do it through the living word. If you want to know what the word means, watch the word walk on the, on the earth. Did Jesus heal people? Did he save people? Did he laugh with people? Did he feed people? Did he say, tell them they must be born again? Jesus was the entirety of the word. And he, that's why we need the whole 
it's called the whole counsel of God. And, uh, okay, there's a few I hadn't nailed off yet. I go, a friend of mine was talking, talking about it. she said, we have the most wonderful fellowship. I said, we have the, I just love the people in my church, the most wonderful fellowship. They got the same 40 they've had for the last 30 years. Is you don't believe in fellowship? I'm a fellowship and fool. I love fellowship, but let me tell you something. Us four and no more is not the entirety of his word. You, fellowship without outreach, that's not scriptural. That's a fellow on TV not long ago, right here from this city. He runs about 25 in his church. He said, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. We're small, but we do it right. <laughs> I guess Jesus was wrong. They were just, yes, you can have fellowship, but what about the girl at the restaurant? What about the guy that works on your car? What about your cousin who wouldn't know Jesus at all? Both sides. That's why we need balanced lives and balance in our church. It is so easy, dear ones, to get out of tilt. Now, let me get on my favorite one here. Preaching. Preaching. We got churches built on, the, nothing matters but the preaching of the Word of God, which means I'm fixing to beat you to death because you're a sinner. And all they, they just study theology and theology. You say, you say theology ain't important. Don't you? Hang on, doc. I study theology all the time. Let me tell you something. Worship. Where's your worship? Where's the worship of the living God? Where, where do you lift your heart to God and touch him? Yes, we need theology. But so many groups now, it's theology. I, I've been in church for preachers and now we know the music's good, but the most important thing is the word of God. Let's get this out of the way. I hope the king don't hear you tell him to move his children, tell him shut up. And then I got friends, heaven knows, they worship, they worship. They're out soaring like the eagles, they worship. They can't quote two verses. <laughs> what has happened in the land that we have forgotten that the entirety of your word is truth? One of the things that really breaks my heart is that the church has moved so much into knowledge without compassion. First Corinthians 8, 1 says this, knowledge makes arrogant. Love builds up. And so many now, it's just about, let's go to church and learn something. How about we go to church and love something? I, I, you don't need, how much more do we need to know? Okay, we can get fed. It's good to get fed, but I'm going to tell you something. The people that I know that make the biggest difference in people's lives are not the smartest people. They're the most caring people. And you say, well, you, are, you, are you downplaying that we should study the word of God to show ourselves a proof of God not be ashamed? <laughs> Would you shut up? <laughs> I'm saying you can, I study it constantly, but this word doesn't do a bit of good if it don't translate into caring for my neighbor. Are you with me? And we've got to get back to this thing. And I'm going to, can I do one more? This is the most amazing one of all to me. Christianity without the Holy Spirit. What do you have? We meet, we're organized, we have disco lights, our preachers are well-trained and God never showed up. We need the entirety of thy word. We need it all. We need everything. And this has become a great problem in our land. And it's individual truth. Yes, they're truths, but they've been separated from the entirety. And our churches are suffering because of this. I, I want to show you. Uh, somebody, once in a while, people will want to argue with me over this. I'm not an arguer. And they'll say, well, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. My question is, is it the whole Bible? It don't, just, it don't just need to be in the Bible. It needs to be the whole counsel of God. It needs to be the entirety of his word.
And uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions from Scripture. When we are told to help people and, and do what not, and it's in 2 Timothy 2, 4, I'll just quote it to you. Did he say this? Preach from the Word, or did he say preach the Word? All of it. All of it. I want you to look at something with me in Acts chapter 20. This is the great heart of God in Acts chapter 20 concerning how we're to live and help other people. I don't know if you're familiar with this area right here. My dearly beloved brother Paul, who wrote 17 of the books in the New Testament, he is, this is his farewell speech. He's fixing to say goodbye. He has been told by the Holy Spirit, these churches that you love so much, tell them goodbye because you're never going to see them again. You're going to Rome and you're going to die for Jesus. And he, the Holy Spirit's told him clearly that I go to Jerusalem bound in chains, not knowing what awaits me except bonds and afflictions. And he, God's told him, you're fixing to go die. He said, my time is at hand. So he has a last meeting with the leaders of his churches. He has them on the beach. They're actually on the shore right there waiting to get on the ship. So he calls them all together. And uh, it was a very emotional time. The Bible said they wept greatly and fell on his neck and kissed him, weeping mostly over the words that they would see his face no more. This man started these churches. He loved them. He told them, if you've read these letters, you're, you're like a, I'm like a father to you. You're like sons and daughters to me. And he's had great compassion. God knows the affection I have for you. And this is his final, this is the last time you'll ever see me. And I just want to say something to you. What do you think the last thing he'd say to him is? Watch this. In Acts chapter 20, Verse 27, verse 26, Acts 20, 26. I testify to you, I am free or innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you what? The whole counsel of God. He said, I've taught you everything. I didn't just teach you how to sing. I didn't just teach you how to do this. I have taught you everything in God's word. We want to stand before our kids one day and say, I taught you everything I knew about God. And I want to, as a pastor, I want to say, I didn't just get hung up on prophecy or whatever. I have, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. And in this passage is where the Lord teaches you and I, there's a reason he wrote the whole Bible. There's a reason he's given us all this. And what do you see him pressing me and you toward here? We need to know all of it. We need to, we need to have, a, what's the word? We need to have a balanced life. And we need to be balanced in his word and in everything he's doing in us and the whole counsel of God. Now, let me shift gears for a minute. Counselors tell us today that personal lives are out of balance. And uh, much of the stress and the difficulty we're experiencing today, it's not the culture, it's because we've let our lives get out of balance. Listen, nobody makes decisions for you except you. And one of the things we have to do is bring our lives into balance with God's word. And I'm going to show you how to do that in a second. But what's happening, for instance, we see people today and their workaholics or their work consumes them and they're out of balance with their work. And if they're not at work all the time, when they're not working, they're thinking about work. Or their work affects them emotionally, so when they go home, they're not worth having. And work, you know, people heavy on work. Now, I got some friends, and they're, you know, they, they work, but they don't have any rest or new recreation. Their relationships are not good. I've got some other friends, they, they have become real good at rest. I mean, they're, they're really good. They're sort of reminds you of that country hymn, I'm, I'm pretty good at drinking beer. They've got real good at a few things, but out of balance. Let me show you what getting out of balance in your life will do to you. Our marriages are in trouble in this nation today. You know that. You know the stats. I don't think they're in trouble because I think marriages are in trouble because they get out of balance. Right, let me ask you a question. Don't answer quick. It's a trick question. <clears throat> Why do people get married? Some people would say love. I would disagree with you. I think people get married because of romance. Now I hope romance leads to love because they're close. 
Y'all ever watch Hallmark? They're close. <laughs> People get married because of romance. And then I think you learn to love each other through the years. More on that later. That didn't do nothing for you. I know that. People get married because romance. All right. So romance is what got you into this thing. And uh, you go along and then all of a sudden, darling, you and all that stuff begins to be shoved to the curb. What's the great, what is the great enemy of marriage? Somebody say it. Children. Children. You say, you against children? No, I was one at one time. I'm not against children. I've got them. There's nothing wrong with children. But children come along and what happens? We get out of balance. And then it all becomes about getting to soccer practice, getting homework done, getting meals cooked, getting baths taken, paying the bills. And marriages suffer and die a slow natural death because the romance got what? We got out of balance. And romance slowly died. People say, well, people get in trouble because of affairs. Nobody ever had an affair until the romance died. And, and we do not, we, there you, if you just let it go, your life will wander all out of balance. You have to order my steps. You got to order your steps and keep your life in balance. And we get in trouble if we don't. Let me uh, take a minute and talk to you about a balanced life. Listen, God designed our lives to be balanced. And he wants our lives in balance so they can be blessed. I want to show you the scripture that teaches that he wants us to be in balance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is, a, this is one of the most encouraging but teaching scriptures. It's also one of the greatest promises God ever made in his word. And I don't know that I've ever heard it preached about but it's one of the great promises he made and one of the great calls to get our lives in balance. And then I want to give you the six areas of balance that we have to balance our lives in from scripture for them to be. I just don't think we ought to endure life. I think we ought to enjoy it. I think Jesus died so we could have a, an abundant life, not so we could just crawl through. I don't think it's about surviving. I think it's about thriving. Whether it's as a person or as a believer. I've offended everybody else tonight. Let me offend the Baptist. Years ago, I'm in a little country church and, and the guy said, they've just come, Baptist just come out with a brand new thing and they've sent us some of them. And it was a little booklet that said, this is to give to brand new Christians. When they just get saved, this is a book you give to them. And the name of it was The Survival Kit for New Christians. Do you remember that? Y'all, all y'all Lutherans. But it just came out. It was a, it was, it said, this is, this is great. It's for all you new Christians. Give it to them. I said, get it out of my church. I said, I'm not going to have a survival kit. Right off the bat, you're damning them. You just got saved. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Here, maybe you can survive what just happened to you. What is this? I've got a better, I said, you keep that book. I'm going to give them this book. This is the thriving book right here. I don't want to crawl through and suck eggs and eat dirt and barely make it to glory and touch the bell. I'm going to march in design saying, what a ride. But you got to get your life in balance. And this is that great scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. What? Complete, don't get hung up on the word sanctify. It just means make your life great. Make it beautiful. Make it everything. He, sanctify means to be made perfect. May he make your life perfect and complete. Now watch these words. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of Jesus. God who calls you is faithful and he's going to do it. 
What does it mean your whole spirit, soul, and body? That's everything you are. That's the balance of who you are. I am a spirit. I have a spirit inside of me. I've got the spirit of God inside of me. It's got to be taken care of. But I'm a soul too. What's your soul? That's your intellect, your emotions, and your will. And I'm a body too. God doesn't just care about my heart. God cares about my total makeup. And what do you say right there? I want everything about you to be balanced and I want it to be taken care of and I want it to be completed till the day Jesus gets back. And who's going to do it in the next verse? God is faithful to bring your life into balance and to make it, I want to be blessed in my emotions. I want to be blessed intellectually. I want my body to last and hold up and do well. And I want my spirit to soar. I want every part of my life to be good. I want to live a balanced life. What did the Bible say right there? God wants, he didn't just, there was, he created everything about us. And you, you, he created romance. Who'd you think made it? He created the outdoors. He created music. He, he created cheeseburgers. It's, it's like in American Christianity, we got our little God thing stuck in that building down there for Sundays and then we go live the rest of our lives. He is the rest of our lives. We're, who do you think thought up children? It's just us tonight. Who do you think created sex? You, nothing, no answer, nothing. Everybody fails that test. Look on your license and see if you don't have AF under sex. No wonder you don't know nothing. My goodness. We didn't find our children in the pulpits. And where do you think they came from? He is the God of everything, life, work, everything. And what that passage tell us? Every part of your life, he wants to make wonderful. Because he wants to have a balanced life. You don't, you don't want a spirit the size of Hercules and a brain the size of a pea and a pitiful body that looks like a gourd. I mean, he wants the whole thing to work. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. All right. We need a balanced, balanced life. The Bible says there are six areas that my life that have got to come into order for me to have a balanced life. Let me tell you what the six are from Scripture. Number one, you need worship in your life. I don't mean, I don't mean going to church. You need worship. Worship is to enjoy God. Is to touch God. And it, we were, we were, listen, you're going to worship something. I'm watching a country music concert. I just happened to walk by TV and saw it the other day. And they're, they're waving their arms. And I wonder, what are they worshiping? Can I ask you a question? What are they worshiping? Every, see, we go, you know, worship is the outer expression of the inner delight. You can worship your car, your wife, your country music. We were created to worship God. And every person is going to worship something. And you need to worship God. Your heart will never delight like it will when you touch God's spirit in worship. We, we were created to do that. Matter of fact, uh, the truth is the whole Bible is written to point you to enjoy God. Let's, let's look at that. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're close. Turn to the right a little bit. When, if you ever wonder why the Bible's written, I was told as a young man it was written to suck all the fun out of life. See, that's them people who's out of bounds. One of the best ways you can learn about God is just go ask him. Can I get a witness? Just go ask him what he's got to say. He wrote this book, guys. It's a bestseller. This is the, if you'll just read it, this is so simple of why the Bible was written and what we love, the, the joy of our lives. First John 1, 1. 
that which is from the beginning. We've heard about him. We've seen him. We've looked on him. We've handled him. We've touched him. He's the word of life. His name is Jesus. The life was manifested. We've seen him. We bear witness. What are they saying? Jesus is real. He's not some deity like these other deities. He's real. How do they know he's real? We touched him. We've walked with him. We've talked with him. Verse three, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with who? Why was the Bible written? What we've seen, we declare to you so you can do what we've done. We want you to touch God. We want you to walk with God. We want you to fellowship with him. And verse four, this says, these things we write to you. What is these things we write to you? Is that not the Bible? These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Got it? They said, we, we've, we've experienced God. We've talked with him. We've heard his voice. We've touched him. And now we're telling you, matter of fact, we're writing this book so you can experience God and you can worship him and he can touch you. What's the result of people who touch God? What does it say in verse four? Fullness of joy. I want you to experience God so your heart can know the joy of worship. And we were created to worship and worship him. And uh, there was a... You need balance in your life. You need to worship God. A lot of people are against this enjoying God thing. I'm here to declare to you the entirety of God's word. Not only is it possible to enjoy God, that's the reason we were created. We were created for him to enjoy us and us enjoy him. How many of you got married and knew I am doing this so I can be miserable? How many of you got married to be miserable? Don't talk about it after you got there, but just how many of you went in hoping to be miserable? No, we were hoping to live. What did y'all do? Live happily ever after. I hope she'll find somebody to make her happy. He better wear a collar. Dear ones, we come to God. We were created to enjoy him. One of the greatest truths ever given, it sums the whole Bible up in the Westminster Short Catechism says this. The chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Guess what we're going to do in heaven forever? We're going to enjoy God. And he's going to enjoy it. That's it. And that's called worship. When you worship God, begin to enjoy him. That's what we're here for. And that's why the first part of your day, you need to have enough balance to worship God first part of your day. Amen. However much time you got, set aside time. To, and it's not about, I got to get my daily Bible readings. Hand it to me, Louise. Oh, crap. We're in Leviticus again. <laughs> Uh, oh, whatever, what that's, what's this about dividing these lambs in half? Louise, I'm hurry, we're late. A lot of good that did you? <laughs> it's not about a system. It's about connecting with God. It's about touching God so he can touch your heart. You need the power of God every day. You get that by worshiping him. That's why we set aside the first day of the week to worship him and praise him. Number two, number one, you need worship. Number two, you need relationships in your life with people. You need a relationship with God, which is worship. You need relationships with people. And let me make an announcement to enjoy relationships. We should enjoy each other. I know it's getting tough in this land right now, but we need relationships to enjoy each other. And um, let me tell you how this works according to scripture. Jesus again is the model. You need to have circles in your relationship just like Jesus did. Jesus had one person in his life that was closer to him than anybody else. They were the dearest friends. Then he, going out from there, he had three people. John was the man closest to Jesus. He was his dearest friend. He had three, James, Peter, and John. His next circle was 12 that traveled with him as close friends all the time. Then he had a circle of 70 disciples that he trained and sent out. And then, it, and then his big circle was the multitudes. 
You need that in your life. You need one person in your life, unless you've been called to be single. You need one person in your life that you enjoy life with like nobody else. You need a next circle that needs to be your family. You need another circle that is your close friends, church family, whatever. But you need to have circles in your life because you need people. And you need to enjoy people. That People who don't have good relationships are out of balance and, and there's an emotional problem there. That's why we need to have people in our lives. You say, well, it's, it's tough. I know it is, but it's worth it. And we need to have that in our lives. Number three, this is everybody's favorite one. You need to work. You need a Bible and you need to want ads. You need to go to work. It's all crap. Now listen to me. We're missing it in America with this hate work thing. This is ungodly. It's unbiblical. And, and uh, I remember when, it, when work was a virtue in America a long time ago, back right after I got my first Model T. Work was a virtue back then. Then was the Bible said there, listen to this, listen to this. God created us to work and achieve and take delight in work. Reason people are so miserable, they won't go to work. For me, listen, the scripture says this in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing better than for a man to eat and drink and enjoy his labor that God has given him under the sun. This I saw was from heaven. When you say, well, I hate my job. Then change it and find one you like. Do something, but you need to enjoy going to work where most of your waking hours are. And you need, I, let's just, it's not about having a big job. A lot of people got burned having a big job. You need a job that you're good at and you enjoy it and you contribute something. Come on, uh, you, we're out of balance. And, and then everybody wants to quit work and go do what? Sit around Walmart? <laughs> wait for lunch? Then get done? Wait for supper? Wait for breakfast? What do you... Go get a job. My goodness. We got we to work in balance, but not overwork. Number four, the Bible says this. Everybody needs rest. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. What did he do on the seventh day? You ever thought about this? What day did he create man on? The sixth. And then the seventh was the Sabbath. The first thing man ever did after his created was take a day off. I'm all about that. But God rested on the Sabbath and he commanded us the Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't mean go to church. It's the Hebrew word for rest. But that's not the whole word. What's the whole word? Do I know? That rest is a shortened form of restoration. The Sabbath is for restoration. God created us to heal and rest. You know, you got to sleep eight hours a night, seven, eight hours a night. Your body restores itself and refreshes itself when you rest. Well, your emotions do too. Your mind does too. And we need restoration is what we need. And let me tell you something about this. You, you need it physically. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. This thing about this American busy, 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 running busy, wearing myself out, aren't you proud of me? That's nonsense. That is unscriptural and it's not helping us. We need to bring our lives into balance. You need to rest just as much as you need to work. And you need to sleep well. And listen, you not only need physical rest, you need emotional rest. When people talk about working hard in America, please don't kill me. Very few Americans work hard. Now, if you're nailing shingles down on a hot day, you work hard. If you lose five pounds during the day, you work hard. What most people call working hard is working stressful. Yeah. You know, it's not, the, it's not the physical labor, it's the stress of work. That didn't, didn't worry you out physically, that worries you out emotionally. And you need restoration emotionally. And we're on edge because our emotions are shot because we don't know how to let him restore our souls. And we don't take care of our souls emotionally and find emotional rest. We don't find mental rest. And, uh, and obviously you need spiritual rest. Go back and see number one. But uh, let me show you something. I want you to take this verse out. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 concerning mental and emotional rest. Matthew chapter 10. I, years ago, a pastor friend of mine, he said, I read that verse and threw the Bible out the window. It made me so mad. Good. Good. I, I want the Bible to either make you mad or glad, but don't yawn. I want it to motivate us one way or the other. It was Jesus is not the author of a frazzled out, wore out, crying, needing medication life. Amen. That's just not him. These are some of the sweetest words you'll ever read in the Bible. And uh, let him speak them into your heart. Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Do you know anybody like that in our land today? And I will give you what? It's the Greek word restoration. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is he saying right here? Let me order your life. Let me direct your life. And if Jesus runs your life, what do you find? I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find what? What do you find if Jesus runs your life? Restoration and healing for your souls. Now your soul is not your spirit. Your soul is your emotions, your intellect, your will. And tell me something about the, tell me something about if Jesus really runs your life. What's the last thing you say is? My yoke is what? My burden is what? I'm all about that. He created us and he wants to run every aspect of our lives and bring them into balance so that we can find rest and healing and restoration and live our lives refreshed. And we need to let him, we need to let him do that. Number five, let me give you one, two more. We not only need restoration, we need recreation. I mean, you know, we need some recreation. All right, what does the word recreation come from? Re, to create something again is to recreate. Our natural makeup, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, we need recreation. The Bible says, I love this verse. See if you've ever heard this verse stuck in the Old Testament somewhere. He restores my soul. You know one of the ways he restores my soul? God created fishing so I could live a balanced, healthy life. There's all the prayer in the world can't do for me what a fishing trip can. It just does. You say, what kind of carnal preacher are you? I am, I want to be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. Prayer renews my spirit, but it won't renew my soul. The bass boat renews my soul. And my, my mind, listen, I don't care if you've got a spirit the size of a giant. If you're mentally frazzled and emotionally drained, there's where your problem is. You got to go back and fix that part. So whatever your thing is, Katie and I, we like to bike together. We like to kayak together. Some people go camping. You need to find recreation. You say, well, I got time for recreation with all this. Fine. Live a burned out, frazzled out, wore out, sucking egg life till Jesus gets back. I want to live a balanced, blessed life. Jesus went camping. He hiked all the time. And, and he commanded the apostles to go fishing. You ever read that? Go ye to the sea, cast, cast in a hook, take the first fish that comes up. I'm all about that kind of stuff. If you look at the life of Jesus, he was the most balanced human being that ever lived in every area. He is the model for our lives. And dear, we, we got this, well, someday I will. No, no, this is the day. Got to get it in order today. And you need to have recreation in your life. It's, you know, some people like to recreate by running. God bless you. He'll need to. But you, it, you said, that, this is not real spiritual. Demons, he is the God of all of life. 
and we need to get everything in order. And let me throw in one more. This is the fun one. I separated it out from in 1 Thessalonians 5, the physical side of our lives. God made our bodies and he designed them to function a certain way. Now I used to have hot rods years ago when I was young. Yesterday when I was young, I had hot rods and you didn't burn anything except that high dollar gasoline in them. You didn't, I sure didn't pour kerosene in them. I didn't put sugar in the tank. I know, nobody's going to aid me in. Nobody's going to say nothing here. I didn't pour Dr. Pepper in the tank either. It just won't work. Had to have high dollar fuel. Dear ones, our bodies need to be taken care of. And that means they need to rest. They need exercise. Okay, now look, look. You don't have to be an Olympiad. I, would somebody say amen? Like I'm making this stuff up. Why do you think Jesus walked everywhere he went? He exercised. I know his scooter was broke, but he exercised. <laughs> Look at his diet. Dear ones, we've got to get this thing back in order and to bring our bodies back in order. You need balance in your life. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. You'd just be shocked how well things answer. All right, my buddy name, my buddy Elijah. Y'all remember Elijah? I may even say Elijah was a pretty spiritual dude. Okay, okay. Did he burn out? Break down? Blow out? Want to die? What was God's answer? Eat that, eat that food right there. Drink that water. Walk, go exercise, and lay down and rest. Get it? What's the Bible teaching you and me? He didn't just, and he, later on he did touch his spirit. He heard the voice of God. What did he tell him? Not only did he touch his spirit, he touched his body. He got him exercising. He called him to rest. He got his life back in balance. And then Elijah became one more bad dude again. Everything was like it should have been. Let me, let me uh, okay, physically, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do this in a minute. But let me talk to you for just a minute about bringing the church into balance, bringing our lives in balance as a church. And we need to do that. I want you to pray for us because we, we want to seek this. <clears throat> in our churches, we kingdom balance in your life. Listen, worship needs to be central. The worship of God needs to be central in our lives. I'm praying one day and the Holy Spirit asked me a question. He said, why do you think I put the book of worship as the largest book in the Bible and I put it right in the center of the Bible? Why do you think I did that? He said, because I want the worship of God to be central in your life. And I want the church to worship me. The first order of life is to worship God. What's the first thing people did in the Bible when they saw Jesus? When they saw him, they worshiped him. And we need to make worship the priority of our lives. We need to make it a priority in our churches and learn how to do that. <clears throat> and we need to put him first. But then as we need, what was our scripture tonight? The entirety of your word. Now, listen to me for just a second. This word needs to be food and light. The Bible said, feed me on your word, but it also said the entrance to thy word gives light. And we need to feed on God's word. We need to be encouraged. We need to have food and we need to have light in it. Listen to me very carefully. People do not like doctrine. They say, oh, don't preach on doctrine. Preach about, the, about God doing great things. All right, let me explain to you why doctrine is so important. Let me bore you. Go ahead and lean on, lean on Martha's shoulder. I'll wake you up when I'm done. You know why doctrine is so important? All right, we've been we built our permanent house on the farm and we built the house we always wanted. I love my house. I mean, it's not magnificent or impressive. It's just a nice log house. And we built it years ago. And the first thing we did building that house, we took a backhoe out there. Me and my father-in-law built it. Took a backhoe out there and we dug in the ground and we poured the sexiest footing you've ever seen. It's beautiful. I mean, just, you've never seen such a pretty footing. Some people would call it a foundation. 
I did not, in, no, there ain't nothing sexy about a foundation. You don't see, how many of you ever looked at found, the book of foundational home? You don't look at that stuff. You can't even see them. It's the rest of the house that comes up off the foundation that everybody's impressed with. But tell me where the house is without a foundation. Where so many believers are going today because they don't get doctrinally grounded in God's word. And we have got to know the whole of thy word. I'm seeing people do the craziest things today. You know why? They don't know God's word. I'm not even going to tell you some of the dumb things people do and say. And then I go, wait a minute. Now, this is not fun. This doesn't get the crowd hollering and screaming, but it will keep you out of the ditch. I may even know it's the power that gets you up the mountain, but it is the guardrail that keeps you from going over the edge. So that's why the Bible said, preach all the counsel of God, certain things we need to learn uh, in our personal lives, which is who Jesus is and who we are. Now, listen, in this word, we need to learn how to live. We need to learn how to live and we need to learn how to relate to three groups, according to the Bible. This is the whole counsel. I need to learn how to relate to you. I've got to learn how to relate to the body of Christ. I've got to learn how to love you, fellowship with you. I've got to learn what my gifts are. You need to learn what your gifts are and you need to exercise those gifts within the body. We've got to learn what our purpose is here. Did God put us here just to come down here and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat? Oh, we get so fed at our church. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, we're to come here and eat, but I mean, there's got to be more to it than just feeding all the time. I get four amens out of that. I have told them it's not my fault. We got to find our purpose here in the body. Secondly, now let me just throw in something here. There's a great movement around the nation down here that I've, somebody's mailing me books all the time. I love God, but I hate the church. It's not possible. So Brother Brian, we'd love to have you and your family, you and your wife come here, but don't bring them stupid children. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus said in the Bible. Love me, love my church. Last page of the gospel, John 21, last page, Jesus asked Simon, do you love me? I may even know that's a great question. Do you love me? Simon said, yes, sir. What did Jesus say? Take care of my church. You cannot love Jesus and hate his church. You were this new movement of, I love God, but I don't have nothing to do with the church is coming from. We do not know the whole of God's word. And you say, well, the church is dumb. Yes, we, we are, aren't we? We're, praise God, I like dumb churches. I like struggling people. They see, the more I struggle, the greater he looks. Jesus said, go into the highways and hedges, get the blame, the line, the crippled, the blind, the crippled, those who can't walk straight, bring them to me. God loves them kind of people. And really, it's just pure, arrogant selfishness that it's all about me and Jesus to hell with everybody else. And we got to get back to the whole of his word and care for people. I've had people criticize me. Why do you build churches so big? And my, at this age, I don't have to be nice anymore. And I'll just ask them. I'll say it real nice. Who do you want to go to hell? Why would you go into all the world and preach the gospel to your four and no more? That's not what it says. This is, the t this is all the word of God that we need to spread out. And we need to learn how to relate to each other. I got to learn how to relate to my family. Church is a place where I learn how to be a husband. We learn how to care for your children and whatnot. And then let me point this out. And boy, this is another area we're missing it. We got to learn how to relate to our world in here. I got a lot of Christian friends. They don't know anybody that's not in their church. Brethren, this ought not to be. This ought not to be. How can you be the salt of the world if you only stay in the salt shaker? 
We got to get out of the shaker, dear ones. All right, let me ask you a question. You say, show me that in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to show you that in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Did Jesus stay inside the temple all the time and say, come ye unto here, all are welcome. Is that what he said? All are welcome in my church. Is that what he said? Jesus got out of the church and he went out among the people. I would dare say most of Jesus' friends were unbelievers. It hacked the preachers off, but it made the unbelievers real happy. A little personal note. Do you know there are 300, over 300 titles for Jesus in the Bible? What's your favorite one? You know what mine is? Friend of sinners. Thank God he's a friend of sin. I'm glad Jesus got out of church and came and got me. Amen. And it was, we got to learn to relate to our world the way Jesus did from his word. And uh, I've had people apologize for missing church because they were out helping somebody. Really? Really? <laughs> Probably the best day you ever did church in your life is the day you didn't come went to help somebody. All right, this is why we teach this thing. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me quit by saying this. If we learn to live this balanced life... It, Get our lives in order to be so enjoyable. Listen, what I'm fixing to say here. You say, I know I need to make some adjustments. No, you don't. If you're smarter than that, if you could tweak it, you'd have done done that. You know what it involves to get you to get your may your whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless till the dead. You know what it means? You're gonna have to make some radical adjustments. You probably have to make some radical changes. Listen to me, it's worth it. It's worth it to make some radical changes in your life to be able to adjust. Now I would do this. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to help you. Inventory your life. Does my life in balance? Do, do, I, do I not have time for God because I'm so busy doing this? Do I not have time for my family because I'm so busy working? Is my marriage suffering because I've neglected it? Is, is my health going down the tube? I don't care what a great message you've got. If you die, you can't preach it. I don't care how great your family is. If you fall over dead, you can't enjoy them. Do an inventory of the areas of our lives and say, where do I need to get this going? How do I need to get this thing done? And let me encourage you to do something. Make radical changes. We need to make radical changes. There's nothing wrong with making radical changes in our lives. Again, it's not about survival. It's about abundant life. I'm going to tell you about two guys who made radical changes before and then we're done. But I want to really encourage you to think about this thing and just sort of inventory your life and say, you know what? Pray, say, Lord Jesus, where, where, are you, where do I need to look at this? Where am I out of balance here? Where am I out of line here? What do I need to do? I remember hearing a guy preach years ago. His name was Bill Hybels. Uh, he fell into some uh, problems in his latter years, but he built probably the best known church in America at one time. It's called Willow Creek. And it was a tremendous church. It was, he, Bill built that church for one reason. He took a friend to church and realized how church wasn't working. He had a baseball player on his team that played baseball with him. The guy got in trouble and uh, Bill invited him and said, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? And he thought maybe it'll help him. So he brings, takes the guy to church. Bill was the pitcher on his high school team. The guy was a right fielder. He takes him to church. He gets in that church and Bill said, for the first time in my, we had a little family church. He said, for the first time in my life, I saw church through the eyes of a lost man, of a, of a non-member. And he said, what I saw was terrible. He said, it was awful. He said, the music was like Ghost and Mr. Chicken. He said, my aunt played the organ. It was like she had on catcher's mitts. said, it was terrible. He said, the preacher got up and fussed at us for not giving enough money. He said, everybody was grouchy. And then they charged him for it. <laughs> I just remember leaving thinking, this didn't help him a bit. He said, and then he remember, I left thinking, what was I thinking? I got a country song, what was I thinking? And he said, the next day, a few days of school, he avoided me. Duh. I'd avoid you too if you made me sit through something like that. That was church to them. You said, don't criticize their church. Why not? 
Why not? There was what, what did Jesus put the church in the earth for if it can't help people? All right. He finally said, I ran him down in the locker room. They said, hey, you're running from me. How come you won't talk to me? He said, Bill, I'll level with you. <laughs> I always thought you were normal. He said, you dress normal like the rest of us. You pitch normal. You, you talk normal. But I said, Bill, what you took to me, son, back to me, what you took me to Sunday, that, that ain't normal right there. Not only did it not do him any good, it scared the fire out of him. I remember the church should not scare people. So that, he said, that broke my heart. And I decided he was going to inherit his father's produce business, multi, huge business, and go into business with his father. And he said, after that, it changed my life. I said, I'm going to start a church and I'm going to build my church around people like that. And I'm going to build a church where people can come and find God that don't know him. Great idea. So Bill starts this church and it explodes in Chicago, Willow Creek Church. He said, we got to the point where we're having three or three or four services I forget on Sunday. Huge crowds coming. And he said, I knew something wasn't right with me. I, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't evil. I just, something was wrong with me. And he said, one Sunday morning, I got to the church early, 6.30 or so, and I was getting ready to preach. And he said, I just had an emotional collapse. He said, at my desk, I just began to weep and couldn't stop. And he said, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. But he said, it was emotional. It wasn't mental. And he said, I just wept. And, and I just remember saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And he said, I, I, by the time the first service started, I pulled it back together. I got through the services. The next day, I went to see our counselor at the church. And I told him what's going on. He said, Bill, he said, I've seen this coming in you for a long time. He said, you're not in sin. You're not an evil man. You love God. But he said, your life is so out of balance. He said, you, all you do is church. All you do is just work. And, and you're so tied up. He said, Bill, when's the last time you went to a movie? with a friend. When's the last time you went and played golf? When's the last time you did, when's the last time you just ever took your wife off for a few days and had some fun? And he said, I was in a, a place of collapse, not because I wasn't doing right and meaning well, I was just out of balance. And he said, I made a decision, said, I can't do this anymore. He said, I'm going to bring in two other preachers and said, they're going to help me and we're going to share the load here. And he said, all the experts in the nation called me and said, it won't work. Your church will die. You've got to be the one up there. And he said, well, let it die. I'm going to do the best I can to help the people. And the church did even better after he obeyed God and shared the load. And I thought, man, what a great story of that. Well, I found myself in the same place years ago because I was raised in a certain mold and a certain, I went to a certain type program. They sent me through the program and said, this is the way we go to church, we go to church, we go to church. So I'm doing my thing, doing what they said. I was miserable, but I'm going to do it for the Lord's sake. If you serve the Lord, you serve the Lord. Misery or no misery. That's a good way to die and kill a bunch of people in the process. <laughs> and I reached a point where I was just miserable. You know, praise the Lord. So good to have y'all with us today. Ah. I wasn't in sin. I wasn't evil. I was just so out of balance. Plus, we were doing so much religious stuff, God wasn't within 90 miles of them. That'll kill you. So I said, I'm going to do, you know, I'm even know you can't well take a day off. You didn't think I didn't think about that? I'm telling you, you can't tweak it. Sometimes you got to do something radical. So I did something radical. I didn't take a day off. I went and bought me a truck. I went truck driving. Pardon me, I'm out. I got to come back to reality. I went to truck driving, and guess what happened within 60 days? I was my old self again. I was laughing again. I was having the best time. I was healthy, and got to eating like a pig in them truck stops, and just having the best time and enjoying my life. And and guess what I started doing after a while? Well, wasn't the thing. Guess what I started doing? I started preaching in the truck stops again because it was fun then. 
I started wanting to, this is so good. Praise God. I said, I, I know this, Lord. I'm saved. I love God. You'll never drag me back to church. I ain't going back to church. No, man, ain't happening right there. Put me in no pulpit. That ain't happening right there. I said, you no one should kill me. And you know what? I wasn't in sin. I didn't run off with the piano player. I didn't even like him. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. I didn't steal nobody's money. I didn't do nothing wrong. I just was so out of balance. And some of you are there right now. And you think there's, some, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just using a hammer to drive screws with. Wasn't created for that. Do something radical. And I'm just having the time of my life, loving my wife, raising my children and fishing and life, just having the best time. And I'm just looking for somebody to pray for everywhere I went and praising God and singing and shifting gears and shedding tears and having the best time and glory to God. And then Bob Dyer calls me one day. I love you anyway, Bob. I clearly do. <laughs> I said, I want you to come be our preacher. I said, ah! I said, been there one time and, and I knew the Lord. I'm being a little silly. I knew the Lord. And he spoke to me and he said, well, don't go back and do it like you used to do it. Do it the way my word says do it. He said, don't even wear a tie if you don't want to. He said, tell them to put the hymn books down. They can't raise their hands and praise me when you got them handcuffed with them hymn books. That's what they're for. It's keep them handcuffed. He said, Preach like you read the Bible in front of me. You don't have to stand up here. I say it, Lord. Don't do that mess no more, son. You're boring me with it. <laughs> go back and enjoy your life. And you know what? Bingo. It didn't always work perfect. Never, nothing is always perfect. But we can get closer to balance. Now, I know you're not a preacher, son. But all I got is preacher stories to tell because that's all I do. But I want to tell you something. I encourage you. Get your life in order. Do an inventory and say, you know what? I would highly encourage you. If your junk has got you so busy, Dustin, you can't enjoy your life, sell it. Call living free. Tell them to bring the truck. <laughs> do what you got to do so that your whole body, soul, and spirit can be found blameless in the day of Jesus. I want you to get your life in order. And I want to ask you to do one more thing. Pray for our church. Pray for the leaders. Pray for us that that we don't get off the rails over here or off the rails over there. I'd like for you to get us down the rails some more that way. But just pray for your leaders that we, that we do the whole counsel of God here. I want people to come in. I want people to come in this church and get saved. I want this community to find Jesus so bad. They need Christ. And I want you to grow and be blessed and know his Holy Spirit. If you're sick, I want you healed. If, if, you're, if you're infested, I want you delivered. If you're lonely, I want you to get a friend. If you're, if you're aimless, I want you to find a purpose. I want everything God's got to offer for everybody. Pray for us that we build in that direction. You understand what I'm saying? Pray, pray that we do the whole counsel of God and that we become like Jesus and be the whole man, the entire man. All right, you've been very patient tonight and uh, I appreciate it so much. I'm trying to figure out now how I can go back to truck driving part-time and still preach, maybe just a few days a week. I'm going to go back to writing country music again. I do write country music. That's part of my spiritual heritage. I do write country music. And uh, one of these days, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you with it. Love story number nine. I'll bring it out and sing it to you one day. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you. Thank you so much. When, why did we stick you in this box of that's him over there? I pray it would open your word. The entirety of your word is truth. And we want to be a people whose lives are in balance. They're spread out. We, that we know Jesus personally. We have great relationships. We have good health. We've got purpose in life. Our work is a joy to us. 
I want everybody in this room to find everything you've given. I pray in Jesus' name in the coming days, I pray for every person in here. Help them. Holy Spirit, help them to order our lives so that we know this is the way God meant for me to be right here. Father, I pray for those who have lost purpose. If we are breathing, you have a purpose for us on this earth. And I want people to find it and live it for the rest of their lives. We pray as a group, as a body of our church. You've put this group together right here in this place for such a time as this, for this community. Order our steps as a church. Show us what's on your heart in this community. Show us what's on your heart in this place. That we, and our, our, my constant prayers, help the people. Help the people. And I pray this over this congregation, over this church, this group. Put the burden of your heart for this community on these hearts right here. Let the people feel what you feel when they look at the people around them. I trust you for that. This is your house for your glory. And we need you and love you and believe you to minister in this house. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.